couple of reminders. First of all, once again, Pastor Adams in India is running that Healing Hands of Christ home for lepers. Um, he sends his greetings and his prayers, and he thanks us for the same. Also, Grace Bible Church Pakistan, the Christmas care packages they're putting together. Got a report from them yesterday that they're more than halfway to their goal. So I give praise for that. And uh, in both of these cases, you are welcome to, to contribute to uh, these two very worthy causes. And uh, one other thing, uh, this Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we won't be having Bible study. All right, this morning's title is The Free Gift of God. The Free Gift of God. I'd like to wish, wish, wish everybody a happy early Thanksgiving this morning. And there's something here that I'm going to talk about for which we should all be very grateful this morning and every day. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Second Corinthians nine fifteen. At ten fifteen, as I just noticed. The clock, not this not the passage. Second Corinthians nine fifteen. Real simple, real to the point. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, one way to understand the holiday of Thanksgiving is by simply looking at the how the word is put together. I submit to you that thanksgiving in large measure is thanks for the giving. Thanks for the giving. And it's saying thank you to God first and foremost for the gifts that he has given us. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. Perhaps the most well-known passage in the Bible, but it, it we can go here, we ought to go here all the time. Because not only does it remind us that everything we receive, we receive by the grace of God as a gift, but also that this is the simplicity of the gospel by faith in Jesus Christ. No one will perish, but have, all will have eternal life who believe. Again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world is every human being, for God so loved the world that he gave we give thanks for the gifts that he gives us. He gave his only begotten son, his uniquely born son, so that whoever believes in him, this is the gift, that whoever believes in Christ shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Believing in the gift of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a man or a woman receives another gift, which is eternal life. And there are many gifts which follow. As a matter of fact, even logically, before we receive eternal life, we first have our sins forgiven. We're reconciled to God. And uh, and we also um, are justified, declared righteous in God's eyes forever. Christ is the greatest gift that God ever has or ever will give the human race. Christ is the greatest gift that the human race has ever or will ever receive. And it's good to remind ourselves of that, particularly as we go this week and on Thursday, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving. We'll be perhaps we'll be among family, perhaps we'll be among friends, perhaps in those situations, there may be a a moment where people actually think about the holiday. And typically when people think about Thanksgiving and they really look at 
mean what it means is giving thanks for our blessings. They usually talk about the things that are most obvious to them that are that they can see and hear and touch. Maybe it's for health. Maybe it's for family members. Maybe it's for receiving a new a new car or whatever it might be. And those are all good things if used correctly. But but seldom do people look to the source of all of that. And you see, it's our job as Bible believing Christians is to bring people back to the source. So while this may be a simple statement, it's a really important statement for us to speak this week when we have an opportunity that among all the gifts and we have many especially in the United States of America. Among all of those, the greatest gift that God has ever given the human race or ever will is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a word that is closely connected to the word gift is the word grace. Grace means that God freely gives without without consideration of, of, of worthiness. It means that because of who he is, he is now free. He is free on the basis of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in his righteousness and his justice, he is free, but motivated by his love to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. That's grace. But the fact is that without that, without the grace of God, every one of us, every human being, every, whoever was born, ever will be born, is absolutely positively lost. As we've seen, we are dead in sin, but for the grace of God. We are condemned for eternity. We are guilty. We are under wrath. All of those things were it not for the grace of God. Without the greatest gift that God ever gave the human race, without Christ. I'd like you to turn now to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We're simply taking a few minutes this morning to listen to what the scriptures say about the God's gifts and God's grace and how much we need it. Even though we sometimes we sometimes look at passages like this and we'll focus on the big nouns, we'll focus on redemption or propitiation or justification. And while these are all important, of course, we sometimes have to just stop and consider the source. Consider that these things are all freely given, that we didn't do any works for them. It's not because there's anything good about us, but simply because God in his grace realized that we were in desperate need of things. We were bound for the lake of fire. We were under the wrath of God, and there was nothing we could do about it. The only way that would ever be changed is if God dug deep into the essence of who he is and through his love figured out a way to be just and remain righteous and still forgive sinners. That's all because of the grace that he's, he has for us. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, that means to be declared righteous in God's eyes forever as a gift. We aren't justified because of good deeds we have done. We aren't justified because of the fact that we study the word of God. We are justified as a pure gift, a gift by God's grace. There it is. Gift, thanksgiving is giving thanks for the gifts we've received and then realizing that it's all by the grace of God. It's all by the free love and the exercise of his love through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why this passage goes on through the redemption, redemption, the buying back, 
which is in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. It's all in the greatest gift that God ever gave the human race in Christ Jesus, whom Christ Jesus, God displayed publicly so everyone would know forever what has happened. He displayed Christ publicly on the cross as a propitiation. That means he's satisfied with the human race, with all issues related to sin and his righteousness and his justice. All of that, Jesus Christ satisfied on behalf of the human race, uh, this grace that's available to every member of the human race, that, that includes God's satisfaction. He's completely satisfied now with the human race. He has no more claims on us, no more certificates of debt. So he's now free to offer us salvation on the basis of faith, not of anything we've done. Faith is really simple. It just means trusting, relying on the word of another. So that's what all it takes. And every human being can do that. When God displayed publicly as a propitiation, satisfaction, the offer, the perfect sacrifice was satisfies God. In his blood, it was by his death. Through faith. That's how our access to all of this is simply through faith. That God set it up that way. We're going to look, probably starting next week, at the genius of God and how he how he brought this all about. Okay, so we're going to see why it is that it's simply through faith. But this morning we just take it on faith. And again, there's some great things here that are basics, fundamentals to our salvation. That includes justification in verse 24, redemption in verse 24, propitiation in verse 25. Look now, go forward, please, to Romans chapter 5. A couple of chapters forward. Romans chapter 5, verse 15. By this time in the book of Romans, what Paul has done is he's first had a court case and found the whole human race guilty. And, and then he brings on the tremendous good news that that God has has now, as it were, put aside the issues of the law, which condemn the human race and has simply offered salvation on the basis of the blood of Christ. And that that justification is not by works, which, by the way, all of the Jewish people thought, by the way, most of God's creatures, most of God's created human beings born of a woman think the same thing. They think the same thing. They think in some manner or fashion, it's by works that we become pleasing to the Lord. I had a situation this week where I was I was getting my hair cut. You just never know when these things are going to happen. I was getting my hair cut. And a woman who works there um, happened to mention her favorite Bible verse. Oh, I know why. Because the barber was taking a phone call. And I was actually on my phone sending out the daily scriptures I send you all. And she wanted to know what I was doing. And I told her I was sending out a daily scripture. She says, well, my favorite verse of all is Isaiah 41, 13. You know, talking about the Lord lifting you up and supporting you, not being afraid. Awesome. But then at the end, I realized that she really needed to not only know that about God, but also about how she's saved. And so I asked her, how do you, do you know how it is that you receive eternal life? And that's, the answer is what I hear 99 times out of 100. I follow Christ. Now, that sounds pretty, doesn't that sound pretty holy to follow Christ? Well, I said to her, yes, you should. I said, but that's not why you're going to go to heaven. That's not why you're, you don't follow Christ, be obedient to him. And because you were obedient to him, you then receive eternal life. 
I says, that's that's not at all what the Bible says. And I took it to several scriptures that that proves that, of course. Uh, Ephesians 3, 2, 8, 9, for example. And this very passage that we just read this morning, that is by faith. And it's all a gift. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift. Now, let me, uh, let me continue what I was saying. So so it, at the at, from Romans 3, 21 through the end of chapter 4 is Paul's dissertation on justification by faith. He goes to the Old Testament. He looks at the precedent of Abraham. And the, and the interesting thing about Abraham is that he's both the, the, the beginning, the, the father, as it were, of the Jewish race from which came the law under Moses, but he also was saved while he was a Gentile. So he's a universal figure. So no matter whether you're Jewish or you're Gentile, you can trace precedence. Okay, it happened first with this man. What am I talking about? Faith. Justification by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited, imputed, reckoned to him as righteousness on the basis of faith. And so Paul proves the point of justification is not by works, but by faith, going all the way back to Abraham. Then at the end, he traces through not only the fact that we were that we were saved by the death of Christ, but also by his resurrection. And it's by that whole death and resurrection of Christ that by simply believing in him, we can be justified. Then in chapter 5, he starts to talk about the results, the benefits, the blessings associated with that gift of justification. And he talks about how the fact that we stand under the grace of God each and every day of our lives and that we live in hope, in hope. And, in, and that hope leads us to the love of God, which is poured out in our hearts. Then he, then he backs up and he starts explaining, well, how do we get there? And he looks at it in the sense of saying we were all sinners when Christ justified us. And then he goes farther back and, and he talks about the fact that we can trace this all the way back, not to Abraham anymore, but all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. And he's going to say Adam is a is a is a type, is a forerunner, as it were. It was an illustration of Christ. Now, that's an interesting combination. And by the way, that's where we're going to be next week. But this morning, I just want you to see the passage and the emphasis on the giving that we are to give thanks for. Romans 5.15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. It's the opposite of the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, the many died, much more. That's the thing about the grace of God. It's overflowing. There's much more than you can ever think of or imagine. As, as horrible as the consequences of the sin of Adam were, leading to judgment and wrath of God and leading to death, as horrible as all that is, the grace of God which comes on the scene through Christ is much greater than that in the positive direction. Much more did the grace of God, and again, emphasizing the gift, the gift. Thanksgiving is a time to be grateful for the gifts and no, no better than to look at the gifts that God has given us. The grace of God and the gift by the grace of what? Of who? The one man, Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, he gives us. I know this is simple, but I want to show you how it, the, the Bible talks about this again and again and again in connection with all the wonderful things that we now have been given, blessed with through the death and resurrection of the one man, Jesus Christ. It all abounded to the many. Verse 16. Here it is again. The gift. The emphasis is on God as a giver freely is not like that which came through the one who sinned. 
For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. We're going to study this. What this basically is saying is, is we were all we were we were all condemned. Yes, we're born sinners. Yes, we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. Yes, the sin of Adam has been passed down to every human being through birth, through the father. But it, but we're not we're not condemned because we have we received the sinfulness of Adam. We're not condemned because we're born sinners. We're definitely not condemned because we've committed sins. We're condemned on the basis of one sin by one man. Now, you might say that's totally unfair. A lot of people say that. That's so unfair. You mean I'm condemned because of something somebody else did? And God said, yes, but hold on. Hold on. All right. I'm, I did that on purpose. All right. You question my righteousness, but my righteousness is far greater, the Lord says, than anything you can imagine. I'm a genius, the Lord said, and I know what I'm doing. You just have to believe that I do. Let's keep going. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, verse 16. For on the one hand, the judgment, the bad stuff, arose from one transgression, Adam's, resulting in condemnation to the human race. But on the other hand, see, there's the other hand. This is what God God knew that he'd be bringing the other hand into this. The free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. God did something that that he said, yes, you're going to be born sinners. Yes, I'm going to give the law. You're going to transgress the law. But at the same time, now you're going to receive a free gift on the other side of that. And that's going to justify you forever. Verse 17. For by the tra- if, and it's true, by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one. And that's true. Every human being has died much more. In other words, as low as things went, as bad as things went on the basis of one man's transgression, much more comes on the scene. Much more those who receive, just receive the abundance of grace and of the gift. Here we have grace and the gift once again. What's the gift now? The gift of you can speak in church. Righteousness. Righteousness. Forever, by the way. You see, see, God had a plan all along. God knew that he understood that if he, the, the, the way, the only way, actually, that he could bring the human race, those who were willing, those who believe and God is a, is a God of his word and believe what he's told us and believe that Christ is our savior, all of those he's finally going to bring to a much greater place than even Adam had in the garden. That's the genius of God. That's the much more of God. If by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one much more, those who receive the abundance, you as a believer in Christ, you've received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, and you will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. That's the gifts that God has given us. It's by his grace. But I'm jumping ahead in the story this morning. And so we're going to back into all of that. We're going to get there. But I want you to now think about what we're, what have we been looking at? Well, our work together in the scriptures for the last several weeks has been to discover what the Bible says about what it means to be human. Or again, quite simply, what is man? What is man? All of all of what we've been studying for the last month and a half has all centered around that one question. What does it mean to be human? What is man? We visited the creation of man in the garden. 
That's where man started. We observe the fall of man and all the results of that. And then most recently, we have marveled at the unique humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where we'll pick things up this morning. I'm going to give a recap and then we're going to move ahead. We have traced the life of Jesus. We did this the last two weeks. We started with his humble birth, miraculous birth, but in humble circumstances. He was he was God and became he was rich. We sang this morning. He be, he became poor for us. He was rich. He became poor. It, but it was a humble birth on earth. And then we followed his whole life, his whole plan of God for his life. And we saw that, of course, he had to die and he was buried and God the Father raised him from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So we went from a humble birth on earth to a glorious session in heaven. That's as it were, we can kind of see the, the, the whole plan right there in the life of Jesus Christ. Why did he have to die? Well, because of the sin of Adam, ultimately. But what did God do? He greatly glorified his son on the basis of now his humanity. Now, we're going to see this in a minute. We saw that Jesus was born of a virgin without sin, that he's God in the flesh. And yet he had a, the will of the father. There was a plan for his life. And Jesus was obedient to that plan, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And he died for our sins and was buried. We're tracing the life of Jesus Christ, the humanity of Christ from his birth. And now to the fact that he was obedient to the death of the cross. He was there to die for our sins, but ultimately he was there to undo the works of the devil. That included the sin of Adam. That included sin in the flesh. That included condemnation and wrath and death. And he was buried. But he didn't remain in the tomb. And on the third day, God Father raised God the Father raised him from the dead. And he received a new human body. What is man? Well, well, it turns out that not only can man be what Adam was after he fell. But Jesus Christ is human as well as God. And when he was raised from the dead in his humanity, he was raised in a new human body, an amazing body, a resurrection body designed for heaven. This is new. This is something totally new about being human that was never known before. I mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. Adam was created for earth. We're all born sinners and we're all earthly people. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, is the first heavenly man. He's, he's now cre- he was now given a body that was heavenly. The body that Jesus received at his birth was earthly, just like ours. It was mortal. It could die, just like ours. But the body he has in heaven, his resurrection body, is heavenly and immortal. And 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1. In a human body. And he's, he reached heaven and he was highly exalted. And then God the Father did something. God the Father seated the Lord Jesus Christ at his right hand. The hand of ultimate power, ultimate righteousness, ultimate authority. A human being. A human being ascended into heaven in a human body. A human being is glorified and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, he's also God. But remember, Jesus Christ will be the unique person that he is forever. He will always be both human and God. No, we can't understand that. 
We have to take it by faith. I was thinking this morning about how when I was studying to be a pastor, and I'm sure a lot of you have studied this too, they, 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 they put together a word for this. They call it the hypostatic union. And I, ne- I always had a hard time thinking, well, why would you do something like that? Why would you take something that we're supposed to simply take on faith, Jesus is God, Jesus is man, and then try to construct this word that nobody can really understand and call it that, right? That's what theologians do. So forget that, all right? I don't, you know, hypostatic union, I suppose you have to have a master's degree in Latin or something to understand Greek, understand what that means. He's still, and now that's pretty far away. God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to rationalize his word. He wants us to hear it and believe it. In any event, Jesus is God and man forever, the unique person of the universe. The Lord Jesus Christ, quite simply, is now, now. He's in heaven today. By the way, he's advocating for you right now. He, he, he keeps reminding the Father, it doesn't need reminding, but so we can understand about it, that, that he is the propitiation for all our sins. And no matter what sin we commit, Jesus Christ has already offered the perfect sacrifice for it. Okay? And his presence at the right hand of the Father guarantees that the fact that God has declared you righteous will never change no matter what sin you commit. But he's up there not only as the Son of God, but in a glorified human body. Glorified human body. It's humanity and his deity, inseparable. He's one person. But we have to remember both now. When we consider the wonders of his humanity, we have to also keep reminding ourselves that he is also God. And as God as well as man, his glory now means that he's exalted in both of both in his deity. Okay, he's glorified in his deity. And it's humanity now. I say now because he's been glorified in his deity forever. But he's human too, and he was born. This is the this is the miraculous, marvelous thing about God's plan. He's also born. He, he's also human. He'll always be human as well as God. But the thing about it is his humanity is now glorified. We're going to be looking at the, 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 the sort of side-by-side side between Adam and Jesus Christ, the humanity of Jesus Christ, Adam. And so when we think about Jesus Christ, we think about, we should think about where he is now and who he is. He's glorified in heaven. But we're going to look at the fact that now we have to come back at, at some point and say, well, what about the rest of humanity? What about the rest of what? Now we've been looking at Adam and Christ. What about the rest of humanity? What about you and I? Right. What we're going to see is that we fell to the lowest of the low with Adam. And guess what? Those who believe in Christ will also be raised to the highest of the high with him. We'll see a lot more about that. Please turn to John chapter 17, verse five. John chapter 17, verse five. Jesus Christ, God and man forever, glorified in both. Glorified as God, the Son of God, glorified in his humanity. Here's, his, here's the glorification of the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John 17, 5, praying to the Father before he died. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That's the glory in what we call the Godhead. 
the glory that the Father and the Son, God the Father, God the Son, shared even before the world existed, even before any of creation. You know, one definition of the glory of God is to see his great essence. His, it's manifested to us. But we can never forget that he, he is that glory. And whether or not anybody ever saw it, he was still glorious. And he had that with the Son of God and God the Father before the world was. And now in heaven, he radiates that glory, the glory which he has had as the Son of God before the world even began. And now he also has added to that one person, the added glory of victory in his humanity. You see, Jesus Christ is glorified in his humanity because of the victory that he won for the human race, the victory won over sin and death. That's the basis for his in his humanity now to be glorified. And that's the amazing thing to think about, that while in his deity, it's always been the same. In his humanity, he, he came down and he was obedient to the plan of the Father and he died and he was raised from the dead. And on all of that basis, now that the Father has poured out into his humanity, ultimate glory that a human being can receive. And none of us will ever receive that because of the extent of it goes to what he uniquely did on the cross when he had victory over sin and death. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Jesus Christ is God and man and one person forever. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, the place of glory and righteousness and power and authority. He is there as a human as well as God. He is, he is glorified now as, a, as, a, as God. We saw that in John 17, 5. Now, but in Philippians 2, 8 to 11, this talks about the glory that he now has as a human. And being found in fashion. I'm reading the King James. I always, look, here's the thing. Whenever I go to Philippians 2, 8, and I'll go there a lot because it's an it's a astounding thing to think about, to, to believe, really. I'm going to use the King James because it's superior. Okay, so just, just realize that. But And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient. Unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, that means as a result of that, obedience to death on the cross, God has also highly exalted him, who? Jesus, who died, a man, and given him a name. He's given him a name. He gave him a name after he died the death of the cross. He gave him a name which is above every name. In his humanity, this is the thing to think about, you know, we tend to think of Jesus Christ as ultimate in charge of everything because he's God. But what this is saying is that God the Father gave him the humanity of Christ, a name that the humanity of Christ didn't have until he died on the cross for our sins. This is the amazing thing. We, we'll never grasp this in our intellect, no matter how smart we are. But it's what a tremendous thing to believe that God took this man, the man Christ Jesus, and highly exalted him, gave him, Jesus Christ the man, a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, you see, not at the name of the Son of God, at the name of Jesus, the humanity, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, all of creation. And that every tongue should confess, every tongue, angelic and human, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. That's the glory that Jesus now has in his humanity because of victory, because of his victory over sin and over death at the cross. So his glory, his exaltation at the right hand of the Father in heaven where he is and and, and, and it will always be with the exception of God's plan for him to come back. And, and we'll, but not, that's not our subject, but he's going to set up a kingdom on earth in his humanity. His glory and exaltation now in heaven is both a return back to the glory he had as the Son of God before the world began and the glorification of his humanity. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14. First Timothy six fourteen. I love this passage. In the context here, Paul is encouraging his uh, his is uh, the one he's bringing up before after him to take on the calling, the mantle that of of, of evangelizing and watching over the churches. And he talks about the fact that you should continue to do everything that you received as a commandment when you were ordained, as it were, for this job, as it were, this calling. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The appearing. Which he will bring about at the proper time. In other words, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. At a proper time in the future, he would then appear again. And, and as Acts chapter 1 had said, the same way that he went up to heaven, he's going to come back down in the clouds. He will bring about at the proper time. He, this is Jesus Christ now, who is blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality <coughs> and dwells in unapproachable light. whom No man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is Paul's, as it were, <coughs> uh, song, really, praise song to the glorious Jesus Christ, the, re- the resurrected, ascended, and seated Jesus Christ. And who is that? Well, again, I want it. What is our, let's back out again. What are we looking at? We're looking at the question, what is man? What you need to understand is that Jesus Christ after he was resurrected, after he was resurrected, ascended, and seated, he is now a completely new kind of man. Of man. Let that sink in for a minute. See, in his unique humanity, we studied that. His whole life was unique in the sense that he was born miraculously and so forth. He was he never sinned. He, he, he was God in the flesh. In his unique humanity... He, and we've seen this already, superior to man as originally created. So you have man as originally created, and then his, in, his, in his unique humanity that he had from birth, greater than man as originally created. But he's also, in his glorified humanity in heaven, he's also superior to his own humanity before he was raised from the dead. That's the thing that, 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 that we have to also understand what happened to him. See, things happen to the, nothing happens to the deity of Christ in the sense of new things that come about. I mean, he's been the son of God for all eternity. He'll be the son of God for all of eternity. But the humanity of Christ had a life 
where things happened to him, but more importantly, where he did things that affected the whole human race. And then, but now in heaven, he's a new kind of man. So what does it mean to be human? What is man? Well, we've now seen two men, Adam and Christ. And those are polar opposites. In other words, what does that mean? As, as Literally, as far as the east is from the west, that's how opposite the Lord Jesus Christ and Adam are. In their humanity. So we understand that humanity falls to the low, us of the low, but also rises to the highest of the high. And these two men are the, are the ones who, who show that. There is simply fallen man, and that's Adam, fallen man, man fell. And there's glorified man, Jesus Christ, from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. <laughs> but here's the thing. Where do we come into this picture? Well, the fact is that the entire story of the human race, I mean, you can go, of course, we go back as believers, as those who believe that the word of God is, is, is inspired and that everything that it says, really, anything it talks about historically really happened. There was really an Adam. He did fall. He did have it. He had children. He had three that we know of. Right. And so forth. So there's that. There's the biblical story of the human race. But plug everything else in there, too. You know, plug in the Roman Empire. Plug in our own history in the 20th century. Plug in all the wars and the bloodshed and the suffering and the persecution. All of that. The greed, the anger, the hatred. That's all part of the story of the human race. But then again, there's the other side. There's the church now and who we are. And that's part of the story of the human race. And it all fits. It's all wrapped up in the legacies of two men, Adam and Jesus. It's all the entire story of the human race is all wrapped up in what they did. What they did. We'll see exactly what that in particular each of them did and the effects of what they did. And, in the, and and who they became. became. The humanity of Christ became, right? Started and became. Of course, the humanity of Adam started and then became something. This way. Jesus became something. One man began in the Garden of Eden in a perfect place, but he ended up falling and in the grave. The other man began in a stable in Bethlehem, and he ended up in heavenly glory. And the whole story of the human race is wrapped up in the legacies of those two men and what they did the effects of what they did, and who they became. When I say what they did, in particular, each man, Adam and Jesus, committed a single act that changed the course of the human race. A single act by a single man changed the course of the human race for the bad, and a single act by one man change the course of the human race for the better forever. The far, far better forever. So, again, I want you to think about the fact that, that all of human history ultimately can be boiled down to two actions by two men. See, this is where, this is what Romans 5 is going to bring out. This is kind of, let's simplify this. Let's look at it the way God looks at it. God sees the whole story of the human race. He sees one act right in the garden and another act on the cross. And that's it. 
as far as you can pour everything else in the story of humanity into those two acts, right? We could say the two lives, but we're going to zero in, as Romans 5 does, on two acts, two acts. One for the worse, the other for the far, far better. So again, the whole story of the human race can be summed up in the following two statements. The whole story of the human race, are you ready for this, can be summed up in these terms. One, you are, in terms of what has happened because of Adam, and also what has happened and will happen because of Christ. Let me go through this again. The entire story of the whole human race from start to finish from Adam all the way to the book of Revelation and the eternal state can be summed up in the following statements. What has happened because of Adam and what has happened and will happen because of Christ. See, Adam did his act and that was it. And then the whole human race fell with him. And then all the things that came along with that. But Jesus Christ, he did one act. And then and here's the thing. Things have already happened. But things will happen in the future as well. Okay. So in other words, Adam went down and it hit the bottom. And that was it. You can't go any farther down than that. Jesus Christ comes and his one act, okay, brings the human race up higher than it was before. And, and not only that, but he's in glory. But now the, us who follow after him as believers in Christ, that are in Christ, we're at a certain point now and we'll be at a higher point in the future. So things are going to happen in the future for the human race on the basis of that one act of Christ on the cross. What has happened and what will happen because of Christ. You see, each and every member of the human race, now we're talking about, we see the two acts, but now we're going to say, I said the whole story of humanity. So let's talk about every member of the human race now. Each and every member of the human race, you, me, Adolf Hitler. I don't know why we always use him as an example. We, should, we shouldn't use him as an example anymore. We've got to come up with something more creative. Every human being who ever lived, your father, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, George Washington. How about that? That's a better one. Every human being who ever lived, okay, is at any point in time now, is related to one of these men and only one. Every human being is related to one of these two men, Adam, Jesus, but only one. And because of that, now we can understand that there are two categories, two kinds of humanity walking around today. There are people want to say, you know, human nature, human race. Well, there's not one. There's two walking around today. There's those who are related to and associated with Adam. Okay. That's one category of human being, kind of man, and a completely different and better kind of man is in the second category. The second kind of humanity, a category of humanity, is associated with Christ. That's how God sees it. That's how we should see it. We should say that it's not just a difference in degree between believer and unbeliever. It's not like we're better off than they are, though we are is that we're two different races of humanity, totally different. The Bible is going to talk about the old and the new. Every human being walking the planet today is either on the old or on the new, either associated with Adam or associated with Jesus Christ. Please turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. 
Because you see, God not only had a plan for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a plan for every member of the human race, each and every one. The Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every man, every woman. So God has a plan for each and every individual man and woman. And it has to do with a transfer. Notice verse 13 of Colossians 1.13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us. Now, us here as believers, you see, there are two kinds of humanity, believers and unbelievers. Now he's talking about the believer kind. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. We began in the domain of darkness. We began in the places of, in the place of Adam and death and sin and so forth. But then he transferred us. See, there's a transfer. This is the plan of God for each and every human being to, the, to transfer them from where they started to where he wants them to be. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And there we have it again. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God's plan of salvation, he wants to save us. He wants to save every member of the human race, the whole world, every individual. He's not willing that any should perish. And his plan of salvation involves a transfer. And it's simple. It's a transfer from one category of humanity to the other. From those in Adam to those in Christ. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. Everybody starts over here in Adam. Some people are transferred into the new human being, new type of humanity. And that's those who believe. There's a transfer. That's God's plan of salvation in its simplest terms. A transfer from one category of humanity associated with Adam to the other category of humanity associated with Jesus Christ. So why? Why is it that God has a plan to move us from one to the other. Well, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. When we say that he wants to save every member of the human race, what does that mean? It means that he wants to save us from something, but that he wants us to have something also. A lot of times we think about being saved from, and we should, from death, from the wrath of God, and so forth, from the from the the the, the, the rule of the master of sin. So we're from saved from, but we're also saved for to something. Look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twenty-one. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. He wants to rescue us from death. And then give us the resurrection of the dead. Then verse 22, a simple way of saying it. For as in Adam, that's one kind of humanity, in Adam all die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. You see, he wants to, he wants to rescue us from death and give us life. And that's simple too. But that is the plan of God. That's why he, transferred, he wants to transfer every member of the human race from being in Adam to being in Christ, because that literally is trans being transferred from death to life. This is God's indescribable gift. We're right back to the subject of giving thanks 
with a free gift from God. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Thank God for the free gifts from God. The free gift of God. The greatest gift, Jesus Christ. Wants us to wants to move every human member of the human race from where we were born in Adam to being in Christ. And that's a gift. Being moved from in Adam to in Christ is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. You're not a better human being because you believed in Christ. A lot of people think that. That's the whole Calvinist lie. That somehow God picked some and made them better. And then because they were made better, they believed. That's that's nonsense, by the way. But in any event, different subject. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But there it is again. The free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's inseparable, by the way. The reason why we'll have eternal life is because we're in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's that simple. That's why. Now, we're going to swim the next week, go back. You might say, well, why is it that God looks at all of human history in terms of the act of Adam and the act of Christ? Because he wants to take us from the consequences of one man's act and bring us into the consequences of another, the other man's act. And that means that he is free to give us eternal life, not on the basis of anything we do, but on the basis of what one man did. That's the genius of God. He, we, because we're in, in Christ, we receive eternal life and we didn't do anything to reserve, to, just like we didn't do anything to be condemned. We don't do anything to be redeemed. We just, just like we didn't do anything to be born in, in sin and death. We don't do anything to receive eternal life either. And I don't know about you, but I, that, I would rather have that plan than any other plan that any human being that the world can ever come up with. But trying, and because it's all vain in trying to move us from Adam and Christ any other way by the grace of God. Well, which kind are you? Which kind you are is very simply determined to which man you're related to. There's one kind of man in Adam and a completely different kind of man in Christ. There's one kind of humanity that's condemned, there's another kind of humanity that's redeemed. There's one kind of humanity that's dead in their transgressions, and the other kind of humanity is alive together with Christ. Are you an Adam? Are you condemned? Or are you in Christ? Are you redeemed? Are you in Adam? Are you dead in your transgressions? Or are you in Christ alive together with him? Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as we close this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. This is all on the basis of grace and gift. All on the basis of the act of Jesus Christ, freeing up, as it were, making possible, opening up the potential for everyone who believes in him to be receiving incredible grace gifts. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. This says it in a, in a real simple way. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. Notice here that there's nothing about his justice or his righteousness 
It's about his motivation of mercy and love. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. See, see, propitiation means his righteousness is satisfied. There's no more claim against the human race. So his righteousness has already been satisfied. Now what happens is the mercy and the love of God gets poured out. Right? Great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. See, that's one kind of humanity. He made us alive. How? Together with Christ. See, because we're associated with Christ, he makes us alive. What does that mean? We believe in Christ. We're justified. We're forgiven of our sins. And that's all by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. You and I and every believer in Christ, we were at one time in Adam. But as a result of faith in the blood of Christ, we've been justified. And now we're in Christ. And here's the great part. We'll be remaining in Christ forever. We will never be taken out of Christ. Ever. Ever. This is so important to understand. This is the this is where we're going to end up. Basically, and I'm giving away this, this story, but basically, since we were condemned for another man's action, then we're we're also redeemed for another man's action. And therefore, the course of our future is all goes back to the act of one man. It doesn't our works have nothing to do with our destiny. I hope you can understand this. Believe that. Because if you do, you will have the most amazing rest and peace that you've ever known to understand this principle. That's why we're going to really dive into it. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Here it is again. In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, how did you become in Christ? You listen to the, you simply listen to the message of truth. You heard words that God has given an evangelist or a friend to give to talk to you, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed it. Then God moved and He placed you in Christ. But not only that, notice this: you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, there's a protection, there's a seal, there's a do not open. <laughs> as it were, and that's all protected, sealed by the Holy Spirit, not by you, not by your good works, not by your prayers, none of that, but by God. He sealed you by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Why? Because he promised. See, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance. We can't lose it with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. He will redeem us completely. That means our bodies to the praise of his glory. He said, you know what? It's got, it's got to do with me and the genius of what I did and, and the amazing thing that my son did for, because I asked him to. I, I gave him the, the plan. He, he executed it. We're going to get all the glory, but look at what you're going to get. You're going to get eternal life. Well, this sets us up nicely for a subject that we'll start next Sunday because there's a governing principle here, and God, his genius, set this down because he can, he's sovereign and can set anything down. It applies in equal measure to Adam, and it does to Christ, and that's the genius of it. Because of this principle, we, can be, we are saved by grace through simple faith in the act of another on our behalf. And like Paul, we can say, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. I'm just going to give you 
the names this morning. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at this in a lot of detail. There's two there's two names. One is federal headship, and the other is imputation. I guess I am using big words now. Sorry about that. But these are see uh, see I'm making choices as a pastor. Is there are there words that help even though they're like technical? Then let's use them. All right. So that's what we're doing here. Federal headship. We'll see what that's all about. Imputations that correspond with it. And and again, I know this, this. These are these are words that may be a little intimidating. You don't understand, or maybe you do. But here's why we need to dive into it. You see, when we grasp these two truths, okay, federal headship and imputation, as a believer in Christ, you will be again at total peace, totally secure in the knowledge that you have eternal life and can never ever lose it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you today for bringing us to this point in the story of the human race so that we can see that as bad as the as the consequences of what Adam did that so great and even greater are the consequences of what Jesus did for those who believe we ask father as we as we as we close today that as we celebrate here in the United States Thanksgiving on Thursday that we would take an opportunity to realize the marvel of your plan of salvation and we give thanks for you and thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, and thanks for the Holy Spirit. Very simple principle. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Bobby, thanksgiving, everybody.